In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is the third Sunday of Lent, so we are now halfway through the Lenten season. The sixth Sunday of Lent is uh, Palm Sunday. That will be on March 28th. So we still have three more weeks to go in this season of self-examination and repentance. Uh, We... uh, examine ourselves and we prepare for repentance using these uh, four basic tools, right? We have almsgiving, fasting, the reading of God's word, and prayer. And through this, we come to understand our need for repentance and how it is that we're supposed to turn to the Lord. And we do that in baptism. We do that so that he's able to wash our souls and to remake us and to place in us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, once in us, guides us in the law of God. The Holy Spirit reminds us of his law and makes it soft upon our hearts so that we're able to follow his will. And the giving of the law and the importance of the law, its understanding for us as being a self-sacrificial law, is brought to our attention uh, first and foremost in uh, this passage in Exodus where the Lord meets the nation of Israel and he gives them his law primarily in the Ten Commandments. You remember that uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are living in the promised land, and it's Jacob's son Joseph, who his brothers sell into slavery in Egypt, and so they all follow him down into Egypt through uh, many different circumstances, and once there, they start to grow into uh, from brothers into tribes, and those 12 tribes, of course, become the nation of Israel. After hundreds of years in Egypt, uh, they are enslaved, And uh, the Lord finally hears their cries, and so he takes these 12 tribes, and he brings them now out out of Egypt through the Red Sea, which is baptism. They get washed in the Red Sea. He has them encamp at the foot of Mount Sinai, and it's there that the Lord gives the people his law. And he gives it to them in the form of these Ten Commandments, which we're reading this morning in Exodus 20. This is the basic instruction of how uh, the Lord would have us live. And they are focused uh, in two distinct groups. There is the love of God, and there is the love of our neighbor. So let's take a look here on the first page of our bulletin. You'll see um, the first five, the Uh, Those that uh, show us how to love God start with uh, verse 2 from Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God, right? You shall have no one else before me. So that's that self-sacrificial neighbor. He's saying nothing else can come before me in your life. You have to be willing to set aside uh, everything else and to put me first, right? And then the next four after that follow. He shows us in a little bit more detail how it is that we're supposed to put him first. Uh, We do that in verse 4 by not having other images that we worship. We don't worship anything other than him, right? In verse 7, we see that we uh, exalt his name, that we set his name aside. We can't use it as a swear word. We have to use it honorably, right? So even the way that we use his name is the way that we sacrifice in our love for him. We have to set a day aside in verse 8 with the holy day, the Sabbath day, right? When we sacrifice that day to him, it's another way of us orienting our lives to put him first. And then finally, uh, we get in verse 12, honoring your father and your mother. Now, sometimes people read this and they say, well, how is it that that is the love of the Lord? The relationship that we have with the Lord is the relationship of a father to a child. 
And he instructs us in that relationship. Of course, not all of us have earthly fathers uh, that give us a good example of who God the Father is. But we know that there are those people in our lives, maybe spiritual mothers and fathers, maybe the saints who have gone before us, that have set an example for us in good and righteous living, that have taught us the faith, that have uh, led us into a spiritual discipline. And so we have to honor them. We have to think about how did they teach me to worship? How did they teach me to read God's word? How did they teach me to live and when we follow their example when we say i'm not going to make it up here myself i'm going to look back and see how did those people that come before me worship the lord and we follow in those ways that's a way that we're honoring them right we're not just making it up as we go along we're turning back and saying how did they live and how did they worship the lord and so this is the way that we learn how to uh, put the lord first Uh, by honoring our father and our mother. And of course, that honoring is a deep and abiding love. Then we have the second uh, set, the next five, and those we read backwards. So in the the first, we, we start with that first commandment, love the Lord your God, right? And we see all the different ways that we put him first. Now we're going to go to the very end and we're going to work backwards. So at the very end, number 10 in verse 17 is, you shall not covet your neighbor's anything, right? What does that mean? It means anything that your neighbor has that doesn't belong to you, that belongs to them, we are not going to want it for ourselves. Now, uh, this does not mean that we don't want good things for ourselves. It's not that we don't want a, a husband or a wife or a house for ourselves, but we don't want their things. And to do that, To really uh, keep from coveting, we always have to do the positive, which is we have to desire good things for our neighbor. So we have to put them first. We have to say, I want a good husband or a wife for you. I want a good animal for you. I want a good house for you. I want a good job for you. I want a good uh, life for you. These are all the good things that I want for you, that I'm praying to the Lord for you. Right? We have to be interceding for each other and wanting all these good things. When we're doing that and it comes from the heart, there's no way that we could want what they have. We're so happy and excited that our neighbor has all these good things. To want them for ourselves would be ridiculous we're so excited that they got that good thing so when we're able to do that when we're able to love our neighbor and want these good things for them then the idea of taking their life or taking their spouse or taking their good name uh, would be ridiculous it would be the farthest thing from our imaginations we don't need to 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 think uh, hard about whether we're supposed to be uh you know stealing from them i've been praying that they would have this thing right And so uh, we understand that that when we focus on the love of God and the love of our neighbor, when we we learn and we practice these loves, that we begin to orient ourselves into the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And of course, uh, the Lord puts these laws on the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments he puts into the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Promise. This is the box of promise. This is the promise between God and his people, right? If you'll be my people and live in righteousness, I'll be your God and he puts the ark into the middle of the Holy of Holies and he puts the Holy of Holies in the middle of that tabernacle, that tent, that place of meeting that the Lord meets with his people. And so at the heart of the place where the Lord meets his people, at the heart of the holiest place of the tent of meeting is these laws, these commandments of loving God and our neighbor. It's at the very heart of where it is that we meet God. 
And if you remember that that tabernacle experience, that movable tent experience, finally, several hundred years later, gets made permanent in Jerusalem in the temple. Solomon finally builds this stone temple. And so that tabernacle worship where God would meet with his people becomes this permanent place in the temple. And sadly, it's over the years, it's desecrated by the Babylonians and again by the Greeks. And finally, Herod the Great, just several years before the time of Christ, uh, is able to engage in this massive, massive building project. And the temple that Herod is able to build is much larger than the original temple. It has a much larger footprint. It's, it's taller, it's broader, it's wider, it's more ornate and gilt. It is this incredible uh, architectural masterpiece of beauty and of assemblage of God's people. And you remember that the disciples walk into Jerusalem and they say, Oh my goodness, this is this incredible place. And the, Jesus immediately, as soon as the temple is spoken of, he tells them, I'm the temple. Rip down this temple and I'll build it up in three days. And he's saying that I'm going to become the place where you meet God. It's in eating my flesh and drinking my blood. It's in being baptized in my baptism. It's by speaking my name. It's by receiving my Holy Spirit that I send to you that you become this temple, this place of worship of the Most High God. And so when Jesus goes into uh, Jerusalem, he's going in to uh, show them that not only is he the temple, but he's also the Passover lamb. He is the sacrifice that they are going to receive in the Passover. He's preparing for the Passover. And of course, his love and his zeal for, for God and for his house consumes him. And he, he removes all of these, um, these, these holy um, offensive things that the people of God are doing, right? They, they just took that, that little turn and they were worshiping the Lord. They were preparing you know, the special money for the temple and the special animals. And they just took that little wrong turn. They started to say, well, maybe I could make a little bit of money for myself, right? When I do this, maybe I could just earn a little bit. Maybe I could just take a little bit of that worship and that good thing that was meant for God. That's so easy to do, isn't it? We go shopping for other people to buy other people presents and we, hey, there's a nice thing for me, right? Maybe, maybe I'll get something for myself. We start out a project to do something good for the Lord and all of a sudden uh, we just take a little wrong turn and we start to put ourselves first, right? We start to give the Lord the credit and we start to think maybe I could have a little bit of that credit too. So easy to make that slight adjustment and to start take those good things that initially we had meant for the Lord. And this is what Jesus says, cleanse all of that, remove all of that from your hearts. And that's what we're doing in Lent. We're removing all of that so our focus on the Lord is clear. And then, of course, once we're baptized and we receive the Holy Spirit, uh, then our lives are perfect and we don't have any more problems, right? Right? No, no. St. Paul addresses this straightforwardly. He says, even though I have the Holy Spirit, even though I know the ways of God, even though the law of God is in me and I desire the things of God, he says, I still can't do it. And he recognizes the war that goes on in all of us to do what's right. And he says, if I am able to do what's right, it's all glory to God. It's, it's his power that's able to do it. 
But still that war is within me. And he uses this, um, this phrase of his flesh and his body, which is where sin dwells. And some people have gone uh, a very different place with this and wanted to talk about the material world as being evil, as the creation as being evil, or our bodies are being evil. This is not what St. Paul is saying at all. He's not saying our bodies are evil, or the creation, or the, the physical world is evil. He's simply saying that sin, until our bodies are finally dead and reborn in Christ until the second coming when he takes all flesh and he remakes it so that we're all resurrected the way that he's resurrected, there's always going to be that war of sin within us. We'll always be in that church militant, fighting for the gospel, and that church expectant, waiting for the Christ to come again. So we're always living in that struggle until he comes again. The important thing about what St. Paul does and shows us is that we are fundamentally mourning our own sin. We have to understand this. We are mourning our own sin. He is mourning the fact that he knows what's right and he's not able to do it. We have to start there. We have to acknowledge our own sin and we have to mourn over it. Because if we don't, we can't mourn the sin of others and we condemn them. See, if I don't recognize sin in myself, but I recognize it in you, then I can say, well, I mean, you're messing up. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. You didn't say what you were supposed to say. Now I'm judging and condemning you. But if I'm mourning the sin in my heart and I'm saying, I have fallen short, I haven't done what I'm supposed to do, I've suffered the way you've suffered, I've been tempted the way that you've been tempted, right? I've fallen the way that you've fallen. I've been broken the way that you've been broken. If I'm mourning my sin, then I can mourn your sin, and then I'm able to intercede and to love you the way the Lord teaches us to love, to say, I want them to have righteousness, Lord. I want them to know your ways. I want them to have the strength to follow your will. But all that starts with the mourning over our own sin, which we practice deeply in this season of Lent. The Lord didn't give Moses the Ten Commandments because he didn't know right from wrong. Moses knew he wasn't supposed to kill. It's not like the Lord said, don't murder, and Moses said, oh, really? Right? He murdered the Egyptian, if you remember, before he goes into the wilderness. He knew that that was wrong. Cain knew that it was evil to murder Abel. He wasn't surprised by that. We all have the law written upon our hearts. What the commandments and what the Lord teaches us is how to positively love and self-sacrifice for our neighbor. When we put that law first, then that becomes the law at the center of the Ark of the Testimony and the middle of the Holy of Holies of our heart and the tabernacle which is our bodies and our gathered community where the Lord has promised to dwell with us. He has promised to live with us in our midst and in our hearts and in our lives. When we practice that love of sacrifice that he has shown us so well in his crucifixion and his resurrection.